You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. I'd like to commend our North and South campuses of the South Bay Church, each and every one of you. You you guys can go ahead and applaud for yourselves. It's a commendation. And what what I mean by that is I know that change and transition can be challenging. And, you know, being in the position I am in, you do tend to hear at least one or two complaints in the course of a year. Uh, maybe a few more than that, but uh, honestly, I've heard so many great things from so many of you, the degree of encouragement, the level of excitement, the inspiration, and the friends within your local communities that are making their way on, out to church. I know it's been a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say false start, but somebody else can help me out with this, with the, our South Campus, and that we're, not, we're they're making that full transition to the Botanic Garden, so I can't wait to get out and check that out as well, but I want to thank each and every one of you for really going after building closer relationships in our two smaller groups, as well as making yourselves much more readily available to the local communities. So um, anyway, I did want to uh, take a moment though today in talking about family and the significance of being together. If you're uh, currently watching us live, YouTube live stream, uh, if you want to go back and check out past uh, sermons, uh, both audio and video, you can go to southbaychurch.us. Wanted to get that shout out there to everybody. And uh, just grateful for the songs today. I don't know about you, but I had a pretty rough week, which is not usually the case, or at least I don't feel it. So I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm getting a little bit more in tune with things as I uh, move into the more mature stage of my life. But uh, with that, I think it's the next slide. I know it resonates with me, hopefully with you. It says, when our bodies ache, when our hearts break, when our spirit fails, when pain overwhelms, when life is more than we can take, he understands our pain. And the focus this morning, uh, in the early church, they didn't have sermons. It was a matter of coming together and it was communion. And it was really a matter of focusing on what Each of us needs to focus on each and every day, which is the sacrifice that took place for our lives, what Jesus Christ did for each one of us personally. And in this past week, the thing that I am grateful for is that I I must be in a pretty good spot spiritually, and that I think I've prayed more this past week than I have probably the last two or three months. And it doesn't mean I wasn't praying those earlier months, but there were just so many things. I mean, there were things in our immediate family uh, one of our other churches in Coastal, uh, stuff here in South Bay is we're just moving towards getting things squared away as we uh, focus on our new worship centers, uh, working with the Inland Empire, who is going through some challenges right now. And I think ultimately, I caught myself wondering, how am I going to respond to all these situations and deal with them righteously, to deal with them properly? And, you know, I started feeling at one point, maybe you guys can relate to this, where it's like, I don't know that I want to deal with any of it. There's a couple of you that got that. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I just got my fishing license a couple weeks ago, and I went out to Alondra Park, and I ended up catching about a four or five pound largemouth bass, which I didn't even know there was anything that was actually alive in it. I just went out to kind of decompress. And I think, you know what, bag all this, I just want to go fishing. Needless to say, it didn't quite work out that way, but, and I know that, again, 
There's probably a few of you that have found yourselves in similar situations like this. With that, I am just so grateful for the relationship that I have with God. This past week, I feel closer to God than I have in a long time. And I'm just grateful that all of you and the relationships I have with many of you, being able to talk through different things with so many of you that are significant in my life, is huge. But beyond that, this connectivity with God and seeing the need so many times throughout the course of the day, appealing to God for direction, for help, slowing down and really listening for the prodding of the Spirit. And I really appreciate what we have in Christ. And I, again, that is, that's going to be the, the, the total focus this morning. I want you to be thinking right now, like the, the bread and the wine's about to be passed. And just really clearing your minds to what God has done for us through Christ. The Bible teaches us in Philippians 2, verse 3, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And the thing that I love so much about Christ is this is the epitome of who he is. He was so concerned with each and every one of us, generations of men and women, and that it was so evident in the way that he conducted his life and the way that he poured himself out and ultimately the death that he went to so that we could have life. You know, I think multiple times throughout the week as I was thinking, man, I just don't want to deal with this, this passage just continued to resonate in my head. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. To look to the needs of others. And in order to do that, would you not say we need to be involved with others? We need to be around others to really begin this process. We need to be involved with God and one another in order to connect. And really understanding how important connection is. You know, it's one of the things I love so much about the first century church, and we, we get such a preview into what that was like in Acts 2 where it talks about them being developed to the, devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to God, to one another, with their communities, and how they would constantly get together. And it was about that remembrance of what had taken place on the cross. And how with that focus, they'd be able to meet needs, not only of their own small community at the time, but people would see what was going on in that community. And they'd want to be a part of that community. So much, though, that... The Roman emperor at the time decided they needed to step stuff up because these Christians were gaining notoriety and attention because not only did they take care of their own, but they took care of Roman citizens that were poor and without and met those needs as well. I want us to uh, look at the word commune for a moment. You know, we have in the uh, 60s, communes was a big thing where this idealistic style of living where everybody got together and everybody took care of each other. And the reality of it is that that is what took place in the first century. But from a, a dictionary standpoint, it breaks it down a few other ways, a few other definitions. One of them means to focus on God, converse, talk often with profound intensity, intimate communication, rapport is sharing your heart and mind with God in prayer. An interchange of ideas or sentiments, and it's derived from the French, Elaine, how do you pronounce that? Commune. Commune. Thank you, Elaine. 
I knew I was going to butcher it otherwise. But this, this, this meaning of common to share. So profound intensity, talking, interacting, intimate communication, sharing your heart and mind. Where do we see this most commonly in the modern world today? Do we see it today? Anybody? Of course we do. One, we see it here, but when it comes to what goes on in the world, what are our kitchens like around holidays? Isn't that kind of where everybody hangs out? You know, some people are trying to get in there and sample whatever is being prepared. I know in our, when we get together at my mother-in-law's, everybody's in the kitchen or around the counter in the kitchen. If you're cooking, which I tend to do at those events, you can't move because everybody's there. And there's these intense conversations, this intense connection. And, you know, we, we do what you probably shouldn't, but we talk about church and politics quite a bit. Needless to say, that, you know, it has its own degree of intensity that can come along with it. But I think it's something that's in our DNA, this need, this want to connect. What can keep us from connecting? I think there's a lot of things. But for me, just really thinking through it this past week, hurts, pain, past or present. Someone violates your trust. Maybe someone's betrayed you or betrayed a confidence. Someone else maybe has let you down. Maybe someone that you love didn't meet certain needs that you had. And the thing that I, I love about God is God understands our pain. And he also understands our need for community and connection. And maintaining friendships. You know, I already said it earlier, but there's so many of you that are so helpful for me when it comes to navigating this four-letter word, life. And I'm grateful for that. But I, I think when it comes to our friendships, can we take it, do you think we could take it to a, a better level, another level? And I think ultimately, Paul understood this, and we see it with Paul, and we see it with Jesus. There isn't this fear of being intimate. There isn't this fear of being vulnerable. They're real. And that gives you the ability to connect. You know, I think Paul, again, really understood those, those needs for connections. In 1 Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul talking to the family of believers about the significance of communion and connection. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Give me an amen when you get there. I'm going to use this as a water break while you're looking. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, as I was reading this passage, I asked myself, as I'm going to ask you, what stands out in this passage? I think one of the things for me was the, the significance of this incredible new covenant. We have a, a need for that covenant and that connection. 
We have this new agreement that God entered into with each and every one of us. And that is this incredible gift of salvation that comes about because of the amazing love that God demonstrated for us through his son, Jesus Christ, dying for each of us. Then in verse 23, I thought it was kind of interesting. Paul talks about what we see in Matthew 26, but he starts out with, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus did what? He gave thanks. I mean, to me, that was just so mind-boggling because in, if you go back to Matthew 26, he, there's this progression of his interaction with those that are closest to him. You know, what we know is the Last Supper and him washing their feet and then serving them. And we, we see him even talking about someone would betray him, yet in their midst, the 12 had no idea who that was because of this amazing love that Jesus had for each and every one of them. And even though he was going to be betrayed just a few hours later, we see him giving thanks. That really helped me get over my self-focus and some of the negative feelings that I was having about just situations. Thinking that through with Jesus, he gave thanks. I don't know about any of you that have ever suffered a betrayal. Maybe it was junior high school. Maybe it was more recently with someone closer in your family. But is there not a little bit of pain that's associated with that? And Jesus, in the midst of the pain, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, his focus is on what he can do to help these guys stand firm and stay faithful. And he gives thanks. We see Jesus having this intimate conversation with his guys, being real, vulnerable, sharing of his deepest sentiments about what was going to take place. His betrayal, his ultimate abandonment by his closest friends. And then the transition into the significance of the bread being his body and the cup being the covenant of the blood that was being shed so that we could enter into this new relationship with God. And ultimately, it continues in Matthew 26 with Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, appealing to God for an option other than going to the cross, but ultimately submitting to God and honoring God's will. You know, a little bit earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about honoring God. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honoring God with your body, what an incredible example we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus modeled it for us, and we're called to model it for others. As we sit here right now, are you thinking about this personal application? How did it go last week? Did God receive any honor from you last week? So I think with Paul, Paul understood that we can lose sight of the price that was paid for our salvation. Sometimes I forget the price that was paid for me, and those are, those are some of my darker moments where I can become ungrateful or having a, a pity party about the expectations that I have to live up to. But what happens when we become expectant rather than grateful? I think one of the things that can get me off track from honoring God is pain. And there are things from our past where things currently can trigger us back to those things. 
You know, I think it's been a familiar pattern for me with, you know, ultimately, in a lot of ways, just pretending that things don't bother me, white-knuckling it, trying to get through it on my own. And it's amazing, those are the times where I can get attitudinal towards God, feeling like, he can't understand what I'm going through. But ultimately, understanding, if we really look to the cross, he can And he gives us the ability to manage and get through any situation with him. There's a quote from Lance Armstrong that I want to share with you this morning. It was during the period of time that he had cancer. Lance says that pain is temporary. It may last a minute, an hour, or a day, or even a year. But eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. If I quit, however, it lasts forever. Ever feel like quitting? What would have happened if Jesus had quit? What would have happened if God had quit and decided we weren't worth him sending his son to die for us? In Romans 12, verse 2, Paul again has some wisdom for us here in our personal conduct and what we should, we should be ultimately striving to be, be like. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, not allowing situations to beat us down, to convince us or confuse us into believing that ultimately we have to conform to our friends, what we see going on in the world, what the media tells us we should be or shouldn't be. And really understanding as disciples of Jesus Christ that we've been transformed, and the thing that's so cool about this is we can continue in this transformation process by renewing our minds. And how do do we go about doing that? How do we go from what we see there on the wall, that caterpillar, into a chrysalis stage, and into this amazing transformation. How does that go to this thing with wings that can fly? And that's ultimately how God has designed us. Transformation is something that takes place. I mean, if it hadn't been for God's word, how many of us would be sitting here as baptized disciples today? But we understood the significance of what God was willing to do for us. We understood that the way we were living our lives kept us in darkness, kept us separated, and by going after the word and prayer and the relationships right here in this room, that transformation took place. And we can continue to be transformed. We can continue to renew our minds. But it's a matter of what goes in. And I know that this is an area that as we mature as Christians, we can get a little lax in the amount of time we spend in God's word. That's never been a challenge for me, but the area that has is I can be lax in prayer. And again, that's what you're focused on, what you're appealing to God for, what you're looking, when you look to God, when you look to Jesus and what they've done for us, is there not a renewal in the mind that takes place? If you're in a position where you're cynical or cranky or whatever it may be, does that not help instill a sense of gratitude? You know, this, this idea of transformation and renewal was something that was obviously very clear to Jesus, so much so 
that he was able to see his Father's will all the way through to the cross. And this helped me immensely on a personal level. You know, as a child, I was badly abused. And I've had instances where people that know me have asked me, do you think that was the will of God? And one of the things that I love about God's word is that it gave me the opportunity to kind of weed through that. Do you think that this was the will of God? See, today I have a way of making biblical sense out of this, and I can give an answer that doesn't contradict the Bible. No, it was not God's will. Because he commands that men and women not be abusive, but love each other. And that abuse broke his commandment. And therefore, it moved his heart with anger and grief. But in another way, it was God's sovereign will because there are a hundred ways and a hundred things he could have done to stop it. But for reasons I don't yet fully understand, he didn't. And corresponding to his commandments or his directives, there are two things that I need and I think you need in this situation. One is that God is a God who is strong and sovereign enough to use it for good, and the other is a God who is able to empathize with each and every one of us with whatever it is we may go through. And honestly, I think for me, the biggest thing that came out of it for the good was I learned how to forgive. And without that forgiveness, I'd still be chained to that abuse. I'd be an abuser today. I know that unequivocally, without a doubt based on how tightly wound I was, how angry I was, and even some of the things that started to manifest themselves with my children when they were young. But God gave me the ability to forgive as I looked at what Jesus was willing to forgive me of. And I'm not controlled by those chains anymore. I'm not controlled by that abuse anymore. And with that, both my mom and dad became disciples. They were baptized into Christ. And I remember at one point being given direction to go back and have a conversation with them about it. I wrote two letters, one to my dad, one to my mom. My, one, of the, one of the two of them was pretty defensive on the front side, but he came back later. <laughs> I, I cannot get through this without identifying who's who. But he, they came back and they apologized. And that was huge for me. And they took ownership. And I, and I knew the other one wouldn't, that there'd be issues. But just having had the opportunity to write that letter, to read through it, to weep, but ultimately to be able to let go was huge. And that forgiveness process took place. And it enabled me not to be a hypocrite in these areas. You know, I love Colossians 3, where it talks about the need to clothe ourselves with humility, patience, kindness, gentleness. But then it goes on and it says, forgive whatever grievance you may have against others. It doesn't stop there. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you. And that is so helpful, being able to move on from life. See, when we're not able to address these things, when we're not able to talk about these things, what ultimately takes place is we end up conforming to the world. We're not transformed by God's word and by prayer. 
You know, I think as a child, I had avoided unpleasant facts by, again, pretending things were better than they were. And it was easier to pretend than to face the pain. But the, rea the reality of that was it kept me lonely and unattached. And this ultimately is what Satan wants. He doesn't want this connectivity. He doesn't want this community. He wants the chaos that we have outside of this room in the world. He wants us to be conformed to the world's standards and the world's wisdom, which ultimately will leave us all alone rather than being able to embrace God's promised gift of transformation and renewal, which ultimately grafts us into his family. You know, and sometimes I can get caught up in those same patterns. You know, I think we all prefer to keep certain memories or situations out of our minds, and what psychologists call that is denial. Denial isn't healthy. I think a deeper question here, though, ultimately is whether or not denial is healthy or unhealthy, but whether or not denial is biblical. You know, does Jesus teach us that life, when it comes to anything that we deal with, that life teaches anything about denial or ignoring pain? Jesus never refused to look at his own pain or disappointment. He, was, he knew what was going on. He shared those things. But he did not allow those things to control him. You know, in Luke 8, 46, Jesus says, Someone touched me. I know, because power has gone out from me. You know, he acknowledged himself being drained of personal energy as he ministered to the sick. In John 11, verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. He tasted the salt of tears when his friend Lazarus died. And Hebrews 5, verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. And then shortly after the Passover meal with his guys, he cried out to his father with loud cries and tears in Gethsemane, Luke 22, 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, right here we see him voice this disappointment about his closest relationships, his disciples, for their failure, knowing what was about to take place, for their failure to pray with him rather than fall asleep. In Luke 20, verse 60, just thinking through what must have been going through Jesus' head when he met the gaze of Peter after being cursed and denied. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And then ultimately in Luke 23, verse 33, says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing as they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So here we have the Son of God, the one who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, did so with his eyes and nerve endings wide open to his own human pain. We serve a God that can empathize. You know, we don't see Jesus dwelling on how others have let him down and the pain that was associated with that. I know that I have and I know that I can, but ultimately it leads to more pain resulting from anger and bitterness. And unfortunately, if we dwell on hurts and pain like this, it leads from what Paul was talking about in Romans 12 is that ability to be renewed, that ability to be transformed. And just really understanding pain doesn't need to have a negative impact on us. Jesus always responded righteously to his pain. And I know before I became a Christian, that's one of the things I just, you know, I was like, okay, how can I even begin to be like Christ? He's Superman in the flesh, bullets bounce off his chest, nothing phases him. But that was because I didn't know and understand that Jesus is just like me in the flesh. Anything that I experience mentally, emotionally, physically, or otherwise, Jesus has and did and died for. We see him acknowledge that pain as he cried out to his father for solace and then involved himself in the lives of those he loved to the point of dying on their behalf. His look of pain didn't make him bitter, didn't make him pull back, nor did it cause him to run from those who let him down. He responded to his inner agony with dependence on his father in heaven and the perfect love demonstrated towards others. Again, it just blows my mind that he could be in that room with Judas knowing that within a few minutes, a few hours, Judas was the one that would betray him, but he didn't treat Judas any differently than anybody else in that room. I know when I'm hurt, I can pull back and I can shut down. And I think with that, we seldom reflect on how to love the person who has hurt us. And that's what we're called to do. Instead, we can look for a way to, to get away, maybe a way to get even, or somehow protect ourselves from ever being hurt again, just never letting anybody else in. Our pain does not move us or drive us to the Father for comfort and then move us toward others in love. Instead, if that's what we're focused on, it drives us to our own resources for staying relationally safe. If our focus is to protect ourselves, we're not embracing something that's very basic for each and every one of us as Christians, which is what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, to love and to trust God with every aspect of our personal lives, and then second, to love the to love others with that same commitment to their good as to our own. As others, with the same commitment, again, to the good of them. See, as long as we structure our lives around staving off pray, pain, we won't see our need for the comforting, comforting grace that comes through God the Father, what God in heaven wants to offer us. See, when our children are hurting... What do we want them to do? Don't we want them to run to us for comfort? 
It's the same thing with God. He wants us to run to his embrace in the midst of our pain. You know, we see Jesus in Matthew 23 expressing God's sorrow at his children's unwillingness to trust him, saying tearfully in this passage to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. The thing that I, in closing this out today, the thing that I really want to have you walk away from is one, understanding that God is a loving, caring father. Not only does he want the best for you, but he's already given you the best for his son, Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of things in our lives that create challenges. There are a lot of baggage that even though we were made new through the waters of baptism, we can hang on to it if we really don't go after what Paul talks about in Romans 12, this need to ultimately be transformed and this renewal. And I just want to appeal to you today. If you find yourself in a position where you're not close relationally to others, that you take the time to think through what it is that's hindering you from having close, intimate, vulnerable relationships, where you can just be real and you can talk about what's going on in your life. And the thing that I love about that is when I'm real, when I'm vulnerable, there's this connectivity with whoever it is that you engage with, that you have these conversations with, it's in and of itself is so healing. You know, I find myself with my closest friends when I have these kinds of talks, understood, I find myself encouraged, and I don't find myself judged. And if we conduct ourselves like Christ, the intimacy that we can have in this room relationally will pour over into our communities. Because this is how we're designed. This is the DNA that God gave us. It's the same DNA that his son Jesus Christ had. The ability to breathe, to see, to experience both the beautiful things in this world and the ugly things of this world. But the bottom line is if we connect the way Jesus connected and calls us to connect to one another, we can be victorious over anything that comes our way. And that's what I want to appeal to each and every one of you here this morning, is to think through what it is that's holding you back. Any bitterness or pain that you haven't let go of, and realize that God's got it. And if you're willing to surrender it, you're going to be able to experience life to the full in a way that you've never experienced it before. God bless. Go ahead and bow our heads and pray for communion. <laughs> I got blank stares as I was heading in back. It's like, uh-oh, what's next? I am still. <laughs> Father God, I just want to thank you uh, for what an amazing God you are, uh, the way that you do love us. Thank you so much for your son Jesus and the encouragement that we get through scriptures to remember. Thank you for call, Paul calling us back to what represents the beginning for us of a new life. And that as Jesus stated the significance of the bread and the wine and the new covenant that all those that participate in have, it's just so amazing to know that there's a place for us in heaven, 
but that we can really experience heaven here on earth with the relationships that you've blessed us with, the community that we have called church, and the ability to turn to others and give them that same opportunity that we've been blessed with. Father, I do want to appeal to you too on uh, just behalf of uh, some of the members in our fellowship that have various health issues. You know who they are. Uh, continue to encourage them. Continue to watch over them. Continue to guide any of the physicians that may be in their lives. And I do want to pray too, Father, for our special missions offering that's coming up. Help each of us on a heart level to understand the significance of what we've been blessed with here in the States, especially in this place that we call South Bay. Uh, enable us to be generous. Enable us to uh, be able to look back to this date as we see brothers and sisters being ushered into the kingdom in some of the more challenging places on this planet. Father, I love you, and again, we thank you so much for Jesus and the significance of this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 